Medical Meditation Center and six certain times of the 2005 health ritual. Now, uh, this time the length of the retreats has been scheduled for uh, one month and I do have to apologize at least uh, to explain why I'm now appearing here uh, about a few days late. And uh, uh, the explanation is as follows. Originally, you know, the plan was to have a 40-day uh, retreat in Australia, at the Blue Mountains Inside Meditation Society, then a 30-day retreat here, and then a 20-day uh, retreat in uh, New Mexico in the northern part of it. And so, so when I submitted uh, this proposal uh, to you know, the Zen Society Pandita, and already certain arrangements had been made by then, uh, well, then the Zen would say, please, you know, don't exceed three months. And so, including traveling services, I was well beyond uh, the three months, like 112 days or so. And so, as a result of this, we had to you know, cut uh, the retreats uh, somewhat uh, shorter. And so, uh, the retreat in the Blue Mountains in Australia you know, then went for only 36 days. and. So um, you know, this retreat, with the help of Kamala, who was kind enough to you know, come and uh, you know, do the opening of the retreat, plus uh, you know, introducing you know, the meditators already to you know, the, some of the principles of Satipatthana practice, was uh, therefore I'm here only uh, arrived only last night, and so uh, this will be the first time I come. And the retreat in New Mexico, I had to cut short by two days. Anyway, I hope uh, you, you know, do understand, and uh, I hope uh, uh, you uh, forgive me for uh, this uh, inconvenience. Now, when we practice uh, Satipatthana meditation, it's good uh, to be you know, clear about uh, the objective with which uh, we do this. And uh, you know, the Buddha himself has certainly given uh, a number of objectives has expressed this in a different way and so the most uh, simple way of uh, doing this is by saying that we practice you know, satipatthana you know, meditation namely you know, the meditation of our mindfulness you know, the establishment of mindfulness in order you know, to cross the flood so difficult to cross now a slightly more elaborated uh, um, objective uh, that the Buddha himself uh, has given for the Satipatthana practice is to acquire true knowledge and liberation, which in the Pali scriptural language is known as Vidya and uh, Vimutti, Vimutti standing for you know, freedom or liberation, and Vidya standing for knowledge. And then, um, Yet in a different uh, place in the text, uh, we find uh, the Buddha gives uh, um, a more specified uh, threefold uh, objective, namely as uh, purity, knowledge, and uh, nibbana. In Pali, this is given as the subin, jnanam, uh, and then nibbana nikitai, which is the avahati. And these instructions on the Satipatthana 
they should be carefully studied, they should be mastered, they should be born in mind and memorized, and so, um, they should be made certain to uh, become. And so most of you uh, will be familiar with another uh, set of uh, seven benefits or uh, objectives to uh, the benefits derived from derived from the practice and uh, objectives for the practice, namely in the form of uh, well, the purification of beings, and then the overcoming of sorrow and lamentation, and, uh, and then the total destruction of you know, physical uh, physical suffering and uh, mental uh, mental distress, and uh, the entering of the right path, and finally the attainment of, of the realization of uh, Nibbāna itself. And since the time of uh, the Venerable uh, Mahasi Sayadaw, uh, when he came to the Inside Meditation Society, INS, in 1979, there is a certain familiarity with this Mahasi style of uh, Vipassana meditation. And uh, this tradition then uh, was uh, further uh, nourished uh, by uh, some of his disciples, uh, one of them being the Venerable Nesarita Nidavivamsa of uh, Myanmar. And uh, the seed of uh, Dhamma that has been planted by the late Venerable Mahasi Sadhu here in Nebari, well, this seed, the Venerable Sadhu continue to nourish, and I intend to do the same thing to the best of my non-limited knowledge. And when doing so, then sooner or later, a Dhamma flower, a beautiful Dhamma flower, may grow out of this original planting of the Dhamma seed. And now, furthermore, an intention or an objective for you know, this retreat is to you know, firmly establish all of uh, you here at uh, the center in the practice of uh, Satipatthana and uh, then to you know, let you, you know, gain a direct uh, taste of uh, the practice and uh, to give you the possibility to progress as much as uh, possible. Now, the advantage with longer retreats is that uh, you know, there's more, you know, or there's potential to uh, well, reach higher and higher uh, levels in one's uh, practice. And eventually, you know, this then leads to the realization of uh, Nibbana itself. And when we undertake uh, this practice of uh, Satipatthana, then one of uh, you know, the objectives could be or should be also the arriving, the development, the arriving of the development of a peace within. And in a world that is characterized by much conflict, this quality of inner peace is so important. Only when there's peace within that we can truly you know, make uh, 
about the contribution towards the peace in our own family, towards peace in our community, towards certain peace in our nation, and then also um, by extension to peace in the world. Now, at the outset of uh, this retreat, all of you have listened to the most uh, base or the basic uh, um, meditation instructions as given by the late Venerable Mahasi Sayadaw, and then you have also listened to additional instructions that uh, then give uh, some more emphasize some further aspects in connection uh, with uh, the sitting meditation, the walking meditation, and uh, then the general activities and uh, the uh, interviews. Now, apart you know, from these, we still you know, need to build uh, a stronger foundation in you know, Satipatthana, and so you know, Kamala was certainly kind enough to you know, give a discourse on Sila, and so, you know, this you know, will you know, then, uh, and today you know, we shall you know, look at some further qualities, basic qualities, that a meditator should possess. And 14 of these qualities are mentioned in a discourse that is very popular, very well known, and possibly also known to most of you here. But without revealing at this point, uh, which uh, discourse it is, let me, uh, or let us start by exploring these different uh, values. And the first one is uh, given as uh, sacra. And so the Pali adjective sacra means uh, able or possible, and a, pe a person wishing to attain that state of peace you know, should well should be able and able with uh, regard to what you namely know, able or skilled in practicing virtue an ethical code of for an ethical you know, form of uh, conduct now the commentaries explain uh, that there are four aspects to this, and so the person who practices sila must have faith that such practice is beneficial. So if right away from the beginning one doesn't have any particular, one doesn't see the benefit of taking and observing the precepts, then why should one keep these certain same uh, precepts. And so having uh, read or heard you know, from you know, others, and then keeping you know, the precepts leads to a cultivation of one's uh, bodily you know, deeds and uh, one's uh, verbal deeds, one may feel inspired uh, to you know, then strive for, you know, for you know, the same thing, to accomplish the same thing. Now, in order to 
can observe what a virtuous comment, we need a further tranquility and certainly this is certainly need to be healthy, relatively unhealthy. If we are um, well in a in a state of uh, where our health is you know, greatly deteriorating, uh, then it may be very difficult uh, to you know, observe the, you know, the precepts. And so, uh, thus, being healthy, you know, we you know, should make good use of uh, this condition and certainly then uh, keep the precepts by, you know, for instance, by voluntarily not certainly taking you know, solid food after precepts uh, requires uh, physical uh, effort or zeal, but uh, it also uh, requires uh, that uh, physical and mental zeal, uh, but also uh, courage is uh, necessary. Now, in our modern society, uh, there are many people who uh, do not live in a you know, virtuous uh, manner, and uh, they uh, may tempt us in, in different ways and uh, ask questions, well, why don't you, you know, take food you know, after you know, midday or you know, why don't you, you know, go for a glass of wine or this or that. And it is in this context uh, that we need to have uh, you know, the courage you know, to defend our precepts even if uh, you know, others uh, don't understand it uh, right away. Maybe later on they'll come around and get uh, uh, the meaning of it. Now, the fourth point that the commentaries mention in the context of being able to practice such a virtue is that of intelligence. One needs to possess a certain amount of intelligence to well, foresee conditions that might interfere with keeping you know, one's precepts and you know, thus uh, one is well advised uh, you know, to you know, then uh, well, arrange uh, things in such a way you know, that one can uh, keep uh, the precepts. Now, the next uh, quality you know, mentioned in our you know, discourse uh, you know, that leads uh, to you know, the attainment of a you know, state of peace 
is Satna given as Urju in the Pali scriptural language. This too is an adjective, and so it means you know, straight, honest, upright, or straightforward. So one should be you know, uh, straight or you know, honest. Now, when you know, practicing Sila, we need uh, to possess you know, this uh, very uh, quality. And this quality mentioned here by you know, the Buddha, Urju, uh, actually has to do with the particular you know, mental state uh, that is listed in the Abhidhamma itself, namely the Buddhist uh, philosophy and psychology. And so uh, there it's known as Ujjukata, which means uh, rectitude. And it is one of the you know, beautiful you know, mental you know, states. And so the characteristic of uh, uh, this uh, Ujjukata, or rectitude, is uh, uprightness. And its function is to crush, you know, well, um, a whole uh, a crookedness. And so it should be you know, regarded as opposed uh, to hypocrisy, to, um, well, pretend and uh, then um, fraudulent. And so both of these you know, create, easily create crookedness. Now, somewhat related to this uh, second quality is uh, the third one given as suju, which is a combination of su and uju, and uh, usually translates as upright. And uh, so a meditator is uh, advised by you know, the Buddha that he or she should be upright. So when we practice the Dhamma, we need lots of uh, honesty. Why is this? Because we uh, need to, um, uh, well, uh, communicate with the meditation guide or with the meditation teacher. And if uh, you know, there is no uh, honesty, you know, then, or no honesty with regard to one's own practice, and then how could uh, the meditation teacher po possibly you know, know what's going on you know, for the meditator? Now, in this context, uh, it uh, is uh, important that uh, when one experiences certain difficulties in the meditation practice, to bring these up uh, in you know, one's interview and so just to, to be very realistic about uh, what is uh, happening. And not uh, trying to, you know, well, pretend that one's practice is something going well when uh, things are not uh, necessarily going well. Now, the presence of Suju helps a teacher to keep the meditator on the right track. In the absence of this particular quality, well, then it may easily happen that a meditator slips off the correct path 
for practice. Now, to illustrate these two points of being straight and of being upright, there is the following illustration will be given, namely an outstanding artist who is very skilled if, and who is usually using high quality paints. Well, if he happens to do a painting on a dirty canvas, you can imagine that the outcome of his work will be of a mediocre quality. And the same thing goes certainly for meditators. If a meditator is not honest in his or her meditation practice, then you know, the outcome you know, will be you know, somewhat uh, mediocre. And so, and so as a meditator, we should be like a paint, an artist who uh, is working with high quality paints and who is doing his painting, his or her painting, on uh, well, a high quality canvas. And so, you know, doing so, the painting you know, will you know, come out really nicely and so it will be very clear. So, likewise, certainly for the meditators, when undertaking you know, the meditation practice, one should pay much attention you know, to uh, honesty since this certainly will help uh, to um, propel you know, one's uh, practice. And to give one more uh, reason you know, for this, you see, the first uh, or the, the training that uh, we're undertaking, which uh, then you know, leads to the attainment of the you know, path of stream entry, is said you know, to be characterized by purity. So the main you know, feature is purity of uh, the mind. Now, how you know, can we possibly arrive at this pure purity if uh, uh, there is no uh, honesty, or uh, honesty sometimes and sometimes uh, not? So something to you know, pay attention to. And so in the context of, uh, of you know, giving a report, uh, it's worth it to you know, carefully choose one's uh, words and so, you know, to be you know, precise in you know, what one you know, wants to say and precise and so, also uh, truthful, saying exactly you know, according to uh, reality. Now, there are many other qualities that we need to you know, cultivate. One of them is certainly given as certain suwacha in the Pali scriptural language, and this means obedience. And so hence the Buddha is saying that one who wishes to attain that state of peace should be obedient. Now, this is a quality uh, a number of people are having a hard time with. Now, living in a, in a 
modern society, you know, where you know, we are taught you know, to ask questions and so, you know, to experiment and to find out so, you know, for ourselves and not just to accept so, you know, just about everything blindly. Now here the Buddha is saying one should let go again. Now to some, you know, this uh, you know, may, may sound somewhat so, you know, difficult so, to uh, accept. And so then you know, this quality of obedience figures or comes up not just in this particular sutta that we're discussing right now, but also in another you know, sutta known as certain you know, the Mangala Sutta, the you know, discourse on blessings. And so there too, it's uh, you know, is mentioned as uh, Sovajasata, Kantija Sovajasata, Samananam Chadasanam, and Lenkamina uh, Damasate Chadidam and so the English is this, this uh, patient obedience meeting those who have calmed uh, the mental defilements and discussing you know, the Dhamma on suitable occasions this is a blessing a noble you know, blessing now what this means is uh, that when you know, teachings uh, and teachings on uh, meditation and instructions on meditation uh, are being given, then we should accept them uh, easily. And so we then uh, should we should uh, Know, practice according you know, to you know, these instructions as best as you know, we can, even if we you know, don't quite you know, understand why you know, these instructions are, or why you know, the Buddha has uh, uh, mentioned you know, certain aspects in the context of uh, Satipatthana. Now, what happens frequently in the meditation practice is that at first, one might not necessarily understand the deeper meaning of a particular you know, instruction. But if one then puts this instruction you know, to, you know, you know, into practice, into one's own practice, then after a while one may find that indeed it tends to, or that it makes certain sense and certainly that it helps to you know, develop one's meditation practice. And when one you know, receives some you know, precious you know, instruction on you know, the meditation practice as uh, originally you know, formulated by you know, the Buddha, one you know, should consider oneself extremely fortunate and uh, as if one were holding a golden pot. And so, um, so the, the advice given you know, by the Buddha is, uh, is in most certain cases tremendously uh, profound and uh, powerful. And so, 
these new teachings given are of a highly transformative character that leads you know, to, you know, well, ultimately leads you know, to knowledge, uh, to purity, to uh, knowledge, and uh, to you know, the attainment of uh, Nibbana. So, when we, when it comes to teachings in the context of well, you know, the Satipatthana you know, meditation, which has been you know, practiced uh, by you know, the Buddha himself and, uh, and his uh, disciples, and then for many generations after you know, his uh, great passing away, um, then you know, these instructions are uh, really um, valuable and the test of uh, time. And so with you know, regard to such instructions, it is certainly useful you know, to you know, be uh, to easily accept them or otherwise you know, to, to say differently, you know, to be uh, obedient. And We can, in this context, we can think of uh, an event uh, that occurred at uh, you know, the time of the Buddha, namely between the you know, venerable Sariputta, one of uh, the leading disciples of uh, you know, the Buddha, and a seven-year-old Samanera, or novice. And it so happened that one day, you know, this uh, Samanera, this novice, saw that uh, the venerable Sariputta was wearing his robes not quite evenly all around. And so the Samanera then went up to you know, the elder you know, Sariputta and pointed this out you know, to him. And what do you think? The elder Sariputta you know, then got all angry with this uh, young Samanera, or you know, uh, did he uh, uh, comply? Uh, you're shaking your head. You know, so, you know, indeed, you know, even though he was one of the great uh, you know, disciples of the Buddha, the elder Sariputta um, uh, paid heed to uh, the words of admonition you know, given by the you know, novice, and you know, then readjusted his robes, and so, you know, even took it one step further by saying, well, Venerable Samanera, should you see, uh, should you see, some other fault in me in the future, then please don't hesitate to point it out, and I'll be happy to make amends. And so, so if we cherish this kind of an attitude uh, under the context of uh, no, obedience, you know, then it uh, will make the practice you know, so much uh, easier. And now, um, However, some meditators, when you know, they come on a you know, retreat, they um, well, they can't uh, quite understand yet what uh, you know, or how to you know, practice, and then you know, they may not certainly be you know, so you know, willing to you know, accept each and every uh, instruction, and so this uh, you know, then may lead you know, to some amount of uh, resistance, and then. You know, 
something and to be aware of what uh, this resistance or unwillingness you know, to uh, accept. And uh, when mindful of it, you know, sooner or later, it's uh, not uh, the same. <laughs> Now, Mundu is uh, yet another quality uh, that uh, the Buddha has uh, recommended uh, that we all uh, uh, cultivate. And this Mundu means in English malleable or gentle or soft or pliable. Hence, as a meditator, we should certainly be gentle. And uh, when there is mention of uh, uh, gentleness, of pliability, of uh, malleability, uh, then um, it goes without saying that there must also uh, be the opposite to this. And this opposite comes in the form of rigidity. And it's usually rigidity and uh, the tension and roughness of uh, the mind uh, that is uh, um, being uh, referred to. Now, when we uh, practice the Dhamma, then uh, we cannot do so with a mind that is uh, rigid. The Dhamma itself is uh, yeah, well, it's subtle, it's gentle, and um, well, and it's certainly transformative. And uh, so, in order you know, to you know, gain um, a maximum benefit from this certain you know, dharma practice, we are you know, advised you know, to you know, develop. Uh, well, a pliable, a malleable state of mind. And so, and so the Dhamma can arise only in a you know, being and can be internalized only when the necessary conditions are there. And one of you know, those necessary conditions comes in the form of mudu. So as a meditator, you find uh, that uh, owing to you know, well, your uh, experience so far in life, uh, that there is a certain uh, rigidity in the mind, a certain roughness or you know, tenseness in the mind, and then you know, be aware of this and gradually over time trying to transform it into its opposite namely that of malleability. And malleability, muduta, is actually an, an another mental factor that uh, is mentioned in uh, the Abhidhamma. It's uh, one of the you know, wholesome, beautiful you know, mental states. And uh, its characteristic is given as the subsiding of rigidity and uh, uh, its function is to crush uh, this rigidity of uh, the mind 
and that it is manifested as non-resistance. Uh, and uh, rigidity, it's said, rigidity of the mind is said to arise you know, through you know, the presence of two unalternated states, namely uh, wrong view and uh, pride in uh, conceit. Now, one way of supporting this is if technically it is, or as, as it is technically possible to transform even a chunk of metal into a thin blade of a thin stainless steel blade, so too, it should be possible you know, to transform or to shape the mind, you know, which originally is maybe in a somewhat uh, rigid state, into a more malleable, pliable, uh, soft and uh, gentle state. And modern neurosciences are saying just this, namely that the mind can be worked with, that it can be shaped. And the technical term for this is neuroplasticity. So the mind uh, is like plastic, it can be worked with. Now, as with Fragner just mentioned, wrong view of what is uh, pride and conceit lead to you know, rigidity of uh, the mind. So if we don't want uh, you know, the mind to be rigid, uh, then we better take a closer look at uh, uh, the causes for you know, this rigidity. And one of them is pride and conceit. And so, hence, the Buddha has recommended in you know, the discourse uh, you know, that we're discussing that someone should develop you know, this quality of anatti, you know, anatti mani, which means uh, humble. One should be humble when one should be humble in one's life. One should be humble you know, during one's uh, meditation practice. The more of it, you know, the better. Now, from an etymological you know, point of uh, view. Atimani is uh, one who is proud, and the prefix anna is a negative marker, so one who is then not uh, proud. And when a lot of pride and uh, conceit is present in you know, one stream of consciousness, then usually uh, what are or what are some of the features uh, that arise in the body? How does pride and conceit manifest in the body? Have you ever noticed anything like this? Huh? Any ideas? Puffed up. Puffed up, yes. Okay, very good. One feels puffed up and uh, yeah, then in 
in the German-speaking uh, uh, region of Europe, for instance, it's golden green, so the nose is way up. And uh, then on top of people who are strongly conceited uh, and can be found to have a rather stiff neck. And, uh, and so then, uh, based on, a, on, on an experience that surely happened in, in Burma, well, uh, a person at the time who had a saddle mount, uh, carried a saddle mount of pride and conceit, uh, well, had a, displayed a certain unwillingness to bow down to, to the Buddha statue. And uh, uh, this, or instead going along you know, for some people you know, with an, uh, well, an unreadiness to do so. And as one heard uh, you know, the expression, well, what's this whole business about bowing down and kissing, uh, kissing the floor? Uh, why do we need to do this? This was a question raised uh, at one, you know, during one retreat uh, that the Venerable Sadhu Kandita conducted in, uh, in India. And uh, so um, it took quite some explanation to uh, uh, to make this uh, clear. And actually, the bowing very much, you know, so helps uh, to uh, lower uh, one's uh, pride and uh, conceit. And uh, we oftentimes have uh, well, high, or we hold ourselves in high esteem, but for some others it may be just the opposite. And uh, if this is uh, the case, and uh, we have a a view of ourselves, then maybe this is correct in terms of worldly things, but in context of the spiritual practice, we're well advanced to lower pride and conceit. And so, the usual human reaction around someone who is strongly conceited is one of disliking. Most people can't take too much pride and conceit uh, in uh, others. And so, you know, so frequently you know, this leads to uh, again, some social friction. Now, ultimately speaking, when uh, there is uh, no you know, self, then what are we foundation for you know, the pride and conceit falls away. Now, pride and conceit easily arises in you know, human beings, and uh, one person may be you know, conceited owing to his or her you know, wealth, another one you know, may be you know, conceited, conceited because of his or her physical appearance as being you know, very beautiful or you know, very handsome, and uh, yet another you know, may be conceited you know, because of his or her you know, high you know, level of education, 
and one's social status, or maybe you know, a person who has a butterfly collection is proud because of the butterfly collection. <laughs> Now, when on a retreat, what do you think? Which attitude works best? Being really fussy and uh, making high demands of our volunteers here at the center today, wanting this tomorrow, wanting another thing, and the third day again, something else? Or you know, would uh, it be better for, you know, for the unfolding of our meditation practice to be contented. <laughs> Needless to say, I'm asking all these easy questions. Um, so, so contentment is uh, one, uh, is the next quality uh, that uh, the Buddha has uh, recommended uh, for uh, consideration. Um, and it is known as Santusako in the Pali language, so one should be contented. And so contentment with regard to what? We need to be contented with regard to our accommodation, to the food, and to the conditions of the center. We should be also well, be happy and contented with our fellow meditators and uh, the weather and so on and so forth. And experience in meditation centers in Burma, but probably uh, also 
on all kinds of thermal tools or shoulders. And then those who are easily contented with what they have, the food they get, can terminate and refuse and, and cherish the quality of keenness of personal desires or needs. Those are the ones who uh, are in progression quite swiftly along the path. And uh, others who uh, think uh, that uh, they need to have uh, this and then another thing and then yet another thing, uh, if uh, it's a uh, uh, sour food is being offered at bedtime, they need to have uh, sweet food or uh, and then uh, maybe if the food is bitter, then they want uh, uh, some more saltiness to influence their taste. Uh, so this will, mm, this lack of contentment uh, will uh, create a certain agitation in the mind, and the mind will be thinking, oh, if only I could get such and such a kind of food, then my practice would really take off. But then, when the person does get the food, well, the practice might not necessarily take off. And so, and so the more contentment one uh, has in one's practice, the better. Now, this is not necessarily an easy quality. In particular, in our modern society, where the modern economy is praising to change one's computer every so often, and the fashion is changing not just once a year, but sometimes several times a year. And so every so often a new gadget is on the market and to be sold. And then the demand is artificially uh, created, at least in some cases. Now, meditation practice is uh, the opposite of this. It leads uh, to uh, more and more contentment. And as our practice uh, deepens, we find that in the end it's all a matter of mental state. And the more the mantra that goes the unwholesome mental state, the more the wholesome mental state will have a chance to arise in the stream of consciousness, and happiness will be there, and so, you know, then a certain sense of you know, peace, tranquility will be there, maybe also some you know, detachment or equanimity will be there, and uh, then uh, contentment will also you know, be there. And what else then do we need? And there's a strong sense of uh, inner uh, contentment, and then um, the uh, possession or disturbance of some external uh, gadgets really doesn't make uh, that much of a difference uh, in us. Now, this contentment is a quality that uh, should not be underestimated. You know, the Buddha mentioned it in you know, several places, and uh, one of uh, those, apart from you know, the discourse that we're 
uh, looking at certain Jungian thought, and also Jungian passages uh, that have to do with the gradual uh, training of, uh, of the disciple or the meditator, contentment, uh, Sankirti, uh, is certainly being mentioned. And certainly Sankirti here is uh, the condition of a person who is satisfied uh, with what he or she has or the position, position in which he or she uh, finds himself or, or herself. And a related quality is that of apichatta, apichatta, uh, which is fewness of uh, desires. Now, contentment doesn't uh, mean that you need to take a fatalistic uh, approach on life and that you just accept it, uh, everything as it uh, comes. And it doesn't mean that you uh, give up uh, your striving, but it simply uh, means uh, that what we have uh, for the time being, uh, we are uh, contented with. And if uh, we're being uh, offered uh, more and this uh, grows out of uh, certain achievements also, uh, then uh, we should be, uh, we should accept it. So contentment towards certain little or uh, much on both certain sides. And the practice of contentment is uh, opposed uh, to an unwholesome, uh, main, uh, the unwholesome mental state of uh, craving, which is uh, uh, the driving force uh, for uh, well, this fussiness and uh, craving for more and more. Or um, if one has had already enough of one uh, item, then it's craving uh, for uh, something else. So some novelty. And with regards uh, to uh, this contentment, uh, the Buddha has uh, spoken, as is recorded in Dhammapada verse 362, he or she who uh, controls the hand, controls his or her uh, foot, controls uh, one's speech, and has complete control of himself or herself, who finds delight in insight and development practice and is calm and with calm and who stays alone and is contented, him or her they call a true bhikkhu or bhikkhuni, or we could say by extension, a true meditator. Now, somewhat related to uh, this particular uh, aspect of contentment is the next one, namely of subaro, uh, which is the Pali term, um, and uh, which means easy to uh, support. So one should be easy to support when one undertakes uh, one's uh, spiritual uh, practice. And uh, one is certainly satisfied uh, with uh, the uh, food that one receives, the material uh, things uh, available. And one doesn't ask for any uh, extras unless uh, really important for health reasons 
is a term, a Pali term, which means uh, having few duties or uh, tasks to do. The Pali word apakicca is a compound term and uh, consists of two parts, apa and kicca. Kicca means a duty or a task or it could also mean duty and personal task, and upper means small or little or insignificant. And uh, thus uh, we uh, should have, uh, when we're undertaking this uh, form of spiritual practice, uh, then we should uh, have as little uh, duties as uh, possible. Now, The meditation practice is not always easy to carry out. Sometimes difficulties arise, and then the natural response is to uh, try to distract oneself. And uh, in the face of some really difficult uh, uh, meditation experiences, you know, like sweeping the floor or doing the dishes or you know, cleaning the pots and pans, may seem like the battery charts. And uh, then, uh, then one has to be you know, busy oneself you know, with uh, things uh, that uh, are uh, not uh, necessary. Now, for you know, the proper operation of uh, this uh, meditation center, well, we all uh, have to uh, chip in and uh, labor here, but in also many other countries, it's very expensive, and uh, uh, thus you know, the meditators need to uh, help or give uh, a helping hand. So, and this is limited uh, in time, but we do it you know, whatever you know, we are being asked uh, to do as a 
Uh, Yogi is not a Yogi job, and we try to do so uh, as mindfully as possible. possible. So we integrate it into our uh, daily, uh, into our meditation practice. To visualize to which extent the Venerable Mahasi Sahib interpreted uh, this uh, particular uh, aspect of Appa Ticha of having his healing duties. During the early days of the Mahasi Meditation Center in Yangon, Burma, so it seems, um, uh, well, some of the meditators were happy uh, to sweep uh, the grounds, even uh, not being asked to do so. And uh, so uh, this then became an issue in which uh, uh, the Venerable Mahasi was uh, approached and uh, questioned on this. And he then expressly stated uh, that he wanted uh, the meditators to have a maximum time uh, for uh, their uh, intensive uh, meditation practice. He didn't want them uh, to uh, get uh, distracted by unnecessary uh, activities. Now, furthermore, uh, the Buddha uh, recommends uh, that uh, we uh, practice this virtue of salahuka. And uh, salahuka wuti, wuti means conduct, habit, or practice, and salahuka means light or frugal. So one should live lightly or be frugal uh, while on retreat. Now, this starts when coming to the meditation center. And I've heard uh, a number of years back of a story of whether true or not, I don't know, that uh, some meditator, uh, when coming on retreat, brought uh, well, uh, a great part of their wardrobe along in order to have clothes, use or every changing set of clothes for every day. Now, when we're on a, on a retreat, there's no need to impress others with our wonderful clothes. What matters the most is that we bring clothes along and wear clothes that are comfortable and pragmatic and uh, clothes uh, that protect us against uh, uh, the climate and uh, that's uh, about it. Now, in uh, Burma and in other uh, Buddhist uh, countries it will be about the same thing. Uh, when uh, some monastics uh, go on a uh, retreat, monastics who are developing or cultivating this quality of uh, living lightly or frugally, they come and, and, and they only bring just the arms bowl, another set of robes, maybe a toothbrush and you know, some toothpaste, and then some medicine, and that's just about it. And so, well, I do admit that 
there. You know, the work conditions are different and it's not as cold as, as it is Yes, while we are in retreat, you know, we undertake to restrain 
spread these same stories as much as possible. And such, if we cannot help looking at anything new to look at such an interesting object, then at least we do so mindfully, you know, being aware of the intention, you know, seriously with just turning the head and then look at such another object and then as even being mindful of the act of uh, looking at such an some object, but labeling this one as seeing in its own. Now, so what we need to you know, practice is not just restraint you know, regarding the eyes or ears, uh, the nose and the tongue, but also regarding uh, the body as a whole. And uh, when we do our walking meditation, uh, then we don't uh, let the uh, arms uh, you know, well, you know, fly around and Whatever experience you know, occurs, we try to um, well, 
experience it with the arising of wisdom. So now we have in contemplate these different objects that arise as anicca, dukkha, and anatta. And it's not, to clarify this right away, it's not that we intentionally do so, but rather uh, in the course of the practice this then uh, adds certainly the relevance of the point that the point of practice could happen quite uh, naturally. Now, the second last quality is that of Papagabo, and this means that one should not be defiled or not impudent, and that one should not be presumptuously confident and self-assured. And so in this, invoking this point is again an aspect of pride and conceit, and thus we should avoid this kind of impudence and instead develop our bodily behavior, sort of our verbal behavior, so that it becomes more soft and then also gentle, clear, clear the rigidity of pride and conceit. And with such a mind, or with the mind certainly developing this more subtle way, it would be easy then to access the Dhamma. The last certain point is certainly given as Kulesu Anamegido in the Pali Sutra language, and this means that one should not be attached to family. So while on the retreat, one has nothing else to do than being mindful during one's entire waking hours. And once in a while, it may happen that one thinks of one's friends and relatives, and one then may remember some past or some issue that was left unresolved. And then one might think, okay, now it's high time to call this person and have a lengthy discussion over the phone. Now, this is unnecessary, and behind this there may be a motivation for some wanting to receive, wanting to gain something, wanting to benefit from the relatives or friends. And when the monastics meditate, then they're very much dependent on the laity and a need may arise and then one might think, oh, well, if I'm really friendly with the devotee so-and-so, then sooner or later I might, or the person might make an invitation, make an offer, and then I might ask for this or that. And so, so 
occasionally when they speak, you know, the company of uh, some uh, of, of others, of uh, legionary people, and certainly we, then means uh, uh, talking and uh, socializing and uh, obviously uh, in meditation, uh, we suffer a bit of that kind of thing. So, during the Zanzi practice, it's really best uh, to uh, do it as intensively uh, as it may possible, but always considering one's own uh, abilities, never overdoing it, always uh, maintaining balanced, uh, balanced efforts, and uh, uh, then eventually uh, one uh, will realize the balance. So, what we need to practice is certainly seclusion, viveka in the Pali of Cicerone, and certainly this viveka is of three kinds, kayatma viveka, namely seclusion of the body, then citta viveka, seclusion of the mind, and the last one is upadhi viveka, which is a term for nibbana, and bhaskara viveka is meant that one is physically both separate from uh, others, uh, that one is not seeking uh, the company of uh, others. And Chitta uh, Vilka comes in a different way, it means seclusion of the mind and seclusion from the company of the unwholesome mental states, in particular the five hindrances. And when the five hindrances arise in the stream of consciousness, then we may remember our friend so-and-so or our relative so-and-so and, so. and uh, then even though we're sitting uh, in the meditation hall all by ourselves uh, together with others yet uh, mentally uh, there is no seclusion and uh, we're happily uh, spending some time there so this uh, the Buddha does not encourage but uh, rather uh, that we practice Kayatma Vivika as well as Chitta Vivika and eventually in doing this certain plus uh, in combination with the practice of Satipatthana it will lead us uh, to the realization of Nibbana. Now, before concluding this talk one final question well, from which discourse are the 14 virtues drawn from? Whom? The Metta Sutra. Yes, thank you. As simple as this. And um, it may come as a surprise to some of you to find in the discourse on loving kindness so many points relevant to intensive Vata meditation practice. Both relevant to Samatha meditation, namely serenity meditation, as well as Satipatthana meditation, this meditation of mindfulness. Now, let me conclude this commencement seminar by wishing, may all of you, well, may all of you take to heart these 14 virtues or qualities mentioned in the Metta Sutta, may you practice them as best as you can, may you remember them again and again, may you review your practice once in a while 
and Christmas tree near Wizard. Now you're living according to them and eventually Nick makes as a lead and to an increasing amount of purity to an ever deepening of wisdom and certainly finally Nick makes a lead to the attainment of that Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.